The Cardinals fought. They made the 49ers work. But in the end, it goes down as a loss. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. We get his front row view of what happened on Sunday at Levi's Stadium. Let's be honest. Early on, it looked like it was going to be a blowout. Credit the Cardinals, though. They battled back, pulled to within one score. The 49ers, though, just too much talent. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 680, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, one heart, one threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So can we begin with some good news on this Monday? How about 67 degrees driving into work this morning? And Paul, you may not have brought home a win, but you did bring home some Bay Area weather. So thank you very much. No surfboard, though. Couldn't fit the surfboard on the team plane. Had to leave that in the wetsuit in the the NorCal over there. In fact, I was talking trash with some of the stinking Niner fans that I grew up with and kind of had to eat my words because uh, coming off the Dallas win, I may or may not have texted a week ago Monday that uh, the Cardinals are coming into the NorCal to go ahead and beat down your Silicon Valley candy asses and... um, yeah, my phone might have blowed up towards the end of that game uh, with a bunch of Niner fans feeling themselves, smelling themselves. So, okay, all right. Uh, you got a pretty loaded roster over there. Uh, we get it. You know, all you had to do was look at the D-line. You got the likes of Nick Bosa and Javon Hargrave and first rounders like Javon Kinlaw and Eric Armstead. And Cardinals were missing their top three defensive linemen. So uh, it was a game, though, and the Niners knew they were in a game. Bill Parcells, Hall of Fame head coach, said it. You are what your record says you are. And here on this Monday, Paul, the Cardinals are 1-3 after losing at the 49ers, 35-16. Yet, I'm encouraged. In fact, I'm very, cons- I'm very encouraged after these first four games. And that may sound like a little homerish, but I like what I've seen. And I like the fact that this Cardinals team will fight. They were competitive. It's just, to your point, Talent won out in the end in that fourth quarter. So you're down 21-3 to at the 49ers. It's late second quarter, and then you come back, you make it a game at halftime with an 87-yard drive, and then you come out by forcing a three and out, a halftime where Jonathan Gannon's message was, keep swinging, keep swinging. That's all he told the guys. Clean it up, okay, especially those seven first-half flags. Not good. Not opportune, but you keep swinging. And then they go ahead and they put the ball at basically your half-yard line, and you go 99-plus for only the third time since 2001 did the Arizona Cardinals actually have a 99-yard drive. But think of what that said to everyone in that stadium. And I'll tell you what it said. Oh, boy, this is not the same Cardinals team that you had seen the last couple of years. And you know what, Faro? I guess uh, Laura Oakman, the uh, Fox sideline reporter, and she is fantastic, by the way. And I guess she had a report in the second half that John Lynch was impressed by how different the Cardinals were, just how they did come out and fight. Uh, hello, John Lynch. Cardinals swept you in 2021. Just to let you, it wasn't that long nope. ago the Cardinals swept the 49ers. And guess what, 2018 Steve Wilkes' only year? 
they made the Niners two of their three wins that season. So let's not sit there and give these backhanded platitudes because Cardinals, I'm telling you right now, I'm not predicting a win in the rematch, but I am predicting a bloodbath. It's going to be ultra-physical when these teams meet again in December. It got chippy early in the game. There was some discussion between James Conner and a 49ers defender at the end of the game, which I would love to know what was said and what was discussed because, look, James Conner is about the nicest player you'll meet. Very soft-spoken, well-mannered, yet there was a switch that was turned on and again, I'm only going by what I saw on social media because I don't think this was captured on the TV broadcast. At least I didn't see it on the TV broadcast watching it in studio. But something happened, and I know Dave Passion, and Ron Wolfley tried to describe what was going on. But, uh, yeah, that's something to keep an eye on when these two teams meet in middle of December. Yeah, Hufanga didn't want any of that James Conner smoke. Let's just be clear on that one. Yeah, they were jawing a little bit, but... Connor was ready to engage, and 29 was not. Uh, and, and you know what? That's probably a, a decision in his own best interest. What was interesting, Craig, is that that was towards the Niners' sideline, that little skirmish. There was another skirmish on the Cardinals' sideline that went all the way back to the first play of the game, which was Chris Boyd and number 30 for the Niners, Odom. Those guys got into it after and the postgame handshake. I've never seen a game where it got feisty, chippy, there was an edge to it the very first play of the game, and then it carried over to the postgame handshake times two. Boyd got whistled for an unnecessary roughness flag on a kickoff in the second quarter, ended up getting hurt, came back into the ball game with what was described as a hip injury, but he had his helmet off and seemed to have to be calmed down a little bit. I did see that on television. Gio, yeah, your point, look, we always say it's a rivalry between these two teams, and yes, it is, because in order to have a rivalry, there's got to be some back and forth in the win-loss column. And yes, the Cardinals were swept a year ago, but this has been a very competitive series, last season notwithstanding, and this on Sunday was a very competitive ball game because at one point, you talked about it, that 21-3 to with 522 left to go in the second quarter. If this was a year ago, if this was 2018 or some other incarnation of the Cardinals, you very well could have seen 40 points put up against a Cardinals team that basically would have said, you know what, we're done. We'll wait until week five. But the message that you delivered at halftime from the head coach that they were going to come out and fight. And that's exactly what this team did. And they just needed, they got one stop in the second half. They needed another stop. And they just were not able to get the 49ers offense off the field, which is a lot easier said than done. And I'm going to say it right now. The San Francisco 49ers are the number one team in my personal power rankings in the NFL after four games. I agree with you. The offense and the defense, they've got both sides of the ball, and they've got dudes on both sides of the ball. To have 30 first downs in the game, and they only went to third down five times, that's remarkable, right? This the efficiency of that offense. And the Cardinals knew, Jonathan Gannon and Nick Rollis, they knew they get the unscouted look, stuff that the Niners had not put on film yet. It's still early enough in the season, week four. But guess what? Cardinals came out with some stuff that they had been holding for this game, in this game only. This scheme might have even gone all the way back to the NFC Championship game. A lot of stuff that maybe they didn't end up running because Brock Purdy went down so early in that game and you end up playing running backs and so forth 
as your quarterback in the NFC Championship game. So this staff is about competing, and you saw it. Cardinals will compete for 60 minutes. Are they going to have the most talented roster at this point in the reset and the evolution? Absolutely not. But the things you can control, your intensity, your urgency, your energy, I fully expect that to be a constant, sky high, all year long. They designed this roster not only trying to get the best playmakers they can, but they want that mindset. They want that attitude. There's a reason that a Kaiser White is the quarterback of the defense. There's a reason why they brought in certain offensive linemen, why they brought in receivers like Zach Paschal and they drafted a Michael Wilson. They want that sort of mentality out there. Now, look, it went all the way down to the very end. I know a lot of people look at the final score and they say 35-16. And what were the two final scores a year ago? Like 38-10. to Both they scored 38 points right, both times. Yeah, right. Pretty similar looking final scores. But it's just evidence as to why you need to watch the game. Completely different than, for example, the blowout in Mexico City, where the second half was a bunch of Cardinals just saying, hey, when does a team bus leave? Okay, this team is too good. At no point was there any sort of admission the Niners are too good. In fact, right to the very end, there should have been one more touchdown. Zach Ertz dropped a touchdown pass. Zach Paschal dropped a beautiful pass right in the bucket that Josh Dobbs dropped in. So everything Josh Dobbs did, he should have had another touchdown pass, another few points on his passer rating. It wouldn't have mattered as far as the final no. score and whether the Cardinals walk off with a W. But yeah, a more respectable final score. If either of those two final pass attempts are caught, the Ertz one goes right through his hands. We had a number of calls on Cardinal Talk asking about Ertz and for whatever reason Paul and I don't have an answer but that Dobbs to Ertz connection just has not been there on the deep ball there was now a miss by Dobbs earlier in the game Ertz was wide open in the flat and he overthrew Ertz now that was a big chunk play that you would love to have back if you're the quarterback but Ertz now has been targeted a total of 30 times over four games he got targeted 10 times on Sunday and you wonder Okay, yeah, the tight end is your best friend for a brand-new quarterback, but Trey McBride has gotten lost. One target on Sunday, only seven over these last or these first four games, and you wonder, okay, is it something that Ertz is doing as a veteran? McBride is just not quite there yet, or, and we got a number of calls, does a change need to be made? Can McBride be that number one target of a Josh Dobbs? Talked about it on the team playing with Dave Pash. I said, you know what? Not sure if Zach Ertz is still a little slow coming off the knee injury. If he is, totally understandable. But yeah, there is something missing, something that is not clicking. So how about a Trey McBride being that flex tight end, being that receiving tight end, getting him away from the line, much of the way you position a Zach Ertz, getting him down the field, more downfield targets. You saw the one catch that Trey McBride did have, and he got up the field, and he laid some lumber on Dre Greenlaw. Greenlaw took a while to get up. Uh, you know, McBride is a stout dude when he catches the ball, and, and he has some attitude running upfield. He can do some damage. He can scoot. And so I'm with you. I really am. You know, if, if you want to use Trey McBride more in the passing game, I'm all for it. There was one positive as far as that passing game is concerned, and it again is the rookie Michael Wilson. This kid, Paul, continues to impress game in, game out. He had his, I don't know if you can call game number four a breakout game, but playing in front of his parents, the post-game yep. interview that you had with him, which we'll hear momentarily. But 
Seven catches on seven targets, 76 yards, two touchdowns, and there was that beautiful 33-yard catch to set up the first touchdown. Great double move on the far sideline as I watched it on television. But there is a connection already between Dobbs and Michael Wilson and how this can flourish moving forward. I like what I see from the former Stanford wideout. You know, we can talk about certain plays or moments in the game that definitely proved to be a catalyst. The fake punt was one. But the third and nine that went 33 yards to Michael Wilson that ended up setting up his touchdown catch to make it 21-10, that was a huge turning point. Because at that point, I don't think he'd been targeted maybe once. He was really quiet. A bunch of the other regulars and established guys had gotten most of the targets. And 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 there was a play earlier that preceded that where, because I was on the sideline, he went streaking past us in the sideline and a bunch of guys were screaming, 14 you know, And he had gotten behind the defense, but he didn't get the look. And so I'm wondering, did they come back to the sideline after that possession in the first quarter? We're going back to that play. And the 33-yarder looked real close to what I saw earlier. I'd love to know if it's the same exact play. But to me, that that's where the game started to turn a little bit. You know, that second and third quarter where the Cardinals were rallying and they made it a five-point game, Michael Wilson was a big reason why. Well, the second touchdown was a beautiful throw by Dobbs. I mean, he you talk about threading the needle between two defenders yep. at the goal line and then Michael Wilson able to get in into the end zone. So, yeah, you like what you see out of this rookie class overall, but specifically playmakers on offense. I referenced it, your post-game interview with Michael Wilson. Let's hear some of that again started the conversation with what we began talking about this game on Sunday, how chippy it got early in this contest and even late. Seven grabs, 76 yards receiving, and two touchdowns. Michael Wilson alongside. And first off, what sort of game was that? for? I mean, how would you describe that game? I mean, it was chippy at the beginning. It was chippy at the end. Yeah, I think it's just... That's what divisional play comes down to. It's just it's going to be competitive, um, and you got to play a really good football team to beat a really good football team like the Niners. I don't think we played quite well enough complimentary football to get the job done, but I'm proud of the guys, how we fought. Um, and tomorrow we're just going to digest the film, get better on the things that we need to get better, and move on to uh, Cincinnati. What started to click down 21 to 3? First, tell me about the mentality. You had the touchdown drive to end the first half, touchdown drive to start the second half. In between, Jonathan Gannon came out of the locker room at halftime and said, Keep swinging. That's what he told us. It's just what was the mentality? I think that's the mentality of the whole team from the top down, from coaching staff included. Um, I feel like we're kind of an underdog football team in terms of we don't get a lot of belief outside the locker room. And we know that. Um, and we just got to be grimy. And JG does a great job of, of constantly pressing that point to us in practice, to us in the meeting rooms, to be gr- a gr- grimy, gritty team who's never going to give up. And no matter what the score is, no matter what the situation is, I think you turn on the tape, even if we're down like we were at 21-3, you still see guys straining and guys fighting. So we just... I think if we can continue to keep doing that and you continue to play hard and play gritty, play with maximum effort, you're going to like your result more than you don't like your result. Tell me about the situation. It was first and 10 from the 16 end of the first half, and that was your first touchdown catch. And uh, just take us through that play. Yeah, so we just, it was uh, basically the Z, the, both guys had a circus route. Um, so it's about a you know 12 to 14 yard out route. And I saw it was too high cover too. Um, in that situation, if, as long as you keep your angle pretty high, the quarterback will throw you flat. And I knew basically from the snap that it, I, that was my ball to get. And Josh did throw, throw me a great ball. Um, 
and that's what I practice all the time. Every, every day catching jugs, you know, 110 balls every day after practice, six, seven days a week. Um, and I just made a great catch. And that's what the game comes down to, game of inches. Um, just tr trust my preparation and just worked out. <laughs> how fired up were you just to come back? I mean, this is where you spent your college years. How much of that kind of fueled you today? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, some, some days, and most athletes can, like, some days you can just feel when you're going to have a good game. Um, and I had that feeling the whole week when I got here, when I woke up this morning. There's something about playing in a familiar area that just gives you good mojo. And I woke up just feeling great. And so it's nice to come back here and, and you know, have, have a, a, a pretty decent game. Um, my parents were here. My freshman roommate was here from Stanford, one of my best friends at this day. So it was cool just to be in a familiar, uh, familiar face and, and I guess put on a, a decent show. No, absolutely you did. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was more than decent, the performance that Michael Wilson put on. But what he said at the end there, Paul, as far as playing with great efforts, and more times than not, if you play with great efforts, one, you can live with the results, and two, more times than not, you'll have positive results if you continue to play with great effort. What does every rookie have to do? They have to earn the trust of the coaching staff. And he did that early on. I mean, really early on. They realized, A, he can play. In fact, I think I told you the story. It was midway through training camp, sort of the dog days of training camp in August, and I was standing on the sideline talking to two of the veteran receivers on the Cardinals team. And I said, you know what? How long does it take you to know if a guy can play? A guy at your position. They bring in a, another receiver. How long does it take you? They said, oh, not even a full practice. And they both said that the first time, the first off-season practice session where the veterans were there with the rookies and they got their first look at Michael Wilson, they turned to each other and said, we got one. We got one. The guys in that room knew. And then Michael Wilson proceeded to prove himself to the coaching staff, learning multiple positions, not being a liability in the playbook, knowing where to be, and then his ability to block him and Zach Paschal. Yeah, talking to Jonathan Gannon during training camp in those preseason games, that's where he really earned the respect of the coaches, what he put on film in the preseason games, how hard he was playing. He was coming downhill, finishing blocks at the second and third level, taking dudes out. So right there, they're like, okay, this guy, he's going to get in the rotation. And so for all the above, Craig Grillo, we're going to now present the Angry Bird Award Week 4 to one rookie, Michael Wilson, the seven catches on seven targets, Correct. right? 76 yards receiving, the two touchdowns, the big 33-yarder, all the blocks that no one sees that he puts on film. Remember, we give it to the most hellacious play or player every single week. So you know what? Let the rook cook, and the Angry Bird Award week four goes to one Michael Wilson. How about that? And, and in the area, like you said, where he went to college about 20 minutes away and friends and family in attendance. So if there was a, a great time, to have a great game. That was it for Michael Wilson. And he did say as part of that interview that he woke up that morning and said, you know yep. what? I think this is going to be a good one. I just feel it. I, I have that energy, that vibe. This is going to be a good game. Let's hope he has more of those feelings on Sunday mornings because at least so far, Josh Dobbs, a perfect passer rating when targeting Michael Wilson. Come on. This season? This season. He's been wow. targeted 16 times, 14 catches, 237 yards, and two touchdowns. Not the most receiving yards. That belongs to Hollywood Brown. Okay. But Hollywood has also been targeted 32 times compared to the 16 by Michael Wilson. So making the most of when you are targeted. Speaking of making the most of your opportunities, about Zeke Turner. 
and there's another opportunity or another maybe nominee for that Angry Bird Award winner. Yep. Zeke, who I heard pregame, and this is why you always have to listen to the Arizona Cardinals radio network. Pre-game, in-game, post-game, you can get a lot of nuggets. And Dave Pass dropped one as he hit the airways that I was not expecting, and he brought up Zeke was going to start at inside linebacker next to Kaiser White. And I was like, why? Chris Barnes is, I mean, he's questionable, but he's active. He's gotten the start the last two weeks. Zeke, he, he's a special teams guy. But what happened? Yeah, there was Zeke on the football field. Just his third start of his career. Finished with a career high and team best nine tackles on defense. Ten overall with one on special teams. Plus, as he spoke to you post game, his first rushing attempt since yep. high school yep. on that fake punt. Yep. No, that was great stuff. And, and you, man, just standing next to him, I mean, just the dirt and sweat and blood all over him and the eye black and melted all over his face. I mean, that nobody needed a post-game shower more than Zeke Turner. He was in the eye of the storm that entire game. Yeah. And you know how the Niners offense works, right? Uh, they keep those linebackers honest. There's so much stuff to look at, so much eye candy shifts and motions and misdirections, and they are messing with those linebackers all the time. So kudos to him. The year, he earned the start, and he earned the start against that opponent. And look, he's been going against Kyle Shanahan, at least preparing for Kyle Shanahan for six years now. His first season was 2018, the Steve Wilkes year. Think about that. He's been around a long time. And as part of the interview, I asked him, okay, you've been around and had enough coaches to know. And he sort of finished the sentence for me. Oh, yeah, Jonathan Gannon has this going in the right direction, that there is the right sort of attitude and mindset and vibe in this locker room. And Zeke Turner was evidence of that. So I don't know how much of it had to do with Chris Barnes and the hand injury. But to your point, uh, Pash brought it up when we visited with, with Pash and Wolf. And then sure enough, subsequently during the pregame show, they did the 11-on-11 running through some plays right before they go to the locker room for the final time. And there was Zeke Turner's right next to Kaiser White. And we, we presented that on the air as well. And so, all right, now, all the injuries – to the Cardinals defense and it's a Cardinals defense that is far from the most talented to begin with so it's um right now the struggle is real in terms of trying to get healthy bodies out there on defense and get a rotation that can get to the quarterback that can be sound in so many ways and um, to me look there's the fight was great but at, at some point the talent won out Niners in that victory against the Cardinals, especially on defense. Well, the talent specifically, Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk. By the way, between McCaffrey and Ayuk, they combined for 325 wow. of the 395 total yards of offense by the 49ers. Okay, so let's stop right there. This is the one Monday morning quarterback, all right? Uh, this is where Paulie Pencilneck might be over his skis. But as Brandon Ayuk was wrecking that game at different times, and he did, right? I mean, he had a heck of a game where Ayuk, I mean, he had catches of 16, 11, 42, 25, 34, and 20. Debo Samuel didn't look to be Debo Samuel. And then George Kittle had the one catch, and it was a critical catch. It was fourth and four, and that, that was a big play. But you silenced Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Did you do it at the expense of Brandon Ayuk? And should that could that have been an in-game adjustment where maybe you took some of the defensive attention, perhaps you committed to Debo Samuel and put it on Brandon Ayuk because he was a problem the entire game. Look, McCaffrey is difficult to stop. 
even though as we talked on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals on Friday, and then I mentioned to you pregame on Sunday, the Cardinals a year ago, three meetings against McCaffrey, one with the Panthers, two with the 49ers. They had held McCaffrey in check. Yes. Under 50 rushing yards, but different defensive staff, different defensive players, and McCaffrey with a full offseason with the 49ers, he fits that offense so well. So, yes, McCaffrey was a handful, both rushing the football, catching the football, very difficult. But to your point, okay, let McCaffrey do what he does. You have a banged-up Debo Samuel, Kittle just the one catch. What could you have done differently against Ayuk? And it was a struggle at times for Marco Wilson. We've said that a number of times this season. And I don't know how much we saw of Keetrell Clark on – Ayuk, but maybe a little extra help. But that could be a defensive, a staff thing where you're out there on an island and we're going to trust you to do your job. If you're not, well, we're going to find someone else. So that, the Marco Wilson situation in the cornerback position overall, because Antonio Hamilton still can't find any defensive snaps on the field. So they basically have two corners right now and playing with three safeties minus Buda Baker. Yeah. If the Cardinals in the 2024 draft don't go quarterback, then I think their two first-round picks are D-line and cornerback. And I don't think anybody would be surprised by that right now. You, you, what they really need is that premier foundational defensive tackle and then fill in around that. What you really need is CB1, a legit Pro Bowl caliber CB1. And then a Marco Wilson and Keytrail Clark at this point in their young careers would be good cornerback two and cornerback three. I think they're one position ahead of where they probably should be in their evolution as NFL players, and they're thrust into that out of necessity. Now, I think there's also two things about the Cardinals' defense so far, Nick Rallis and Jonathan Gannon, that are absolutes. Number one, they're going to be near the bottom of the league in blitz rate. They just don't believe in it. I think the blitz rate was 14%. They couldn't get to Brock to Brock Purdy, and, and they weren't going to sell out to do it. They're just not. The week before, Wink Martindale had a blitz rate of nearly 84%. 33 of 39 dropbacks. The Giants defensive coordinator brought it against Brock Purdy, and they paid 40 and had a couple touchdown passes on that. So that's the first thing. They're not going to blitz. And then they're also, to your point, going to put the corners out there on an island. They're probably not going to give them a lot of help a lot of times. And you saw what happened with Brandon Ayuk. And I think that's the, the fine line with this because you bring up something that was a major concern of mine going into this season was, okay, you can live with some exper- inexperience, on the back end at your cornerback position. Marco Wilson, not very – I mean, he's – what? this is year three. He's the longest tenured Arizona Cardinals cornerback. He was drafted wow. before Antonio Hamilton was signed that yep. year, so longest tenured. And then a sixth-round draft pick in Keetrell Clark. Okay, you can live with that more times than not if you have a consistent pass rush. And yep. this was not the case on Sunday. The Cardinals did not even have a single quarterback hit in the first half, let alone a sack – of Brock Purdy. So if you're going, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It could be yeah. Paul, it could be you or I. I mean, if you're if you're not affecting the quarterback, they're going to pick you apart. And that's exactly what we saw on Sunday. Brock Purdy had all kinds of time to throw and completed darn near every single pass attempt he had. He set a Niners team record for completion percentage in a single game. And you're talking about Joe Montana, oh. Steve Young. Yep. I mean, it wasn't even close. Yep. 95.2% Steve Young. 
was just over 90%. So he obliterated that record. I mean, Jeff Garcia, facts, okay? <laughs> We're talking Niners quarterbacks over the years. I can't years. believe you just dropped the Jeff so, Garcia. It's, uh, uh, man, Niners quarterbacks are 500, Alex. Don't make me get into it at this point. Um, look, I'm curious how Nick Rawls is going to evolve this defense, if at all. The Niners, to your point, as we go full circle here on Cardinals Cover 2, are so proficient and adept at offense. They're unlike any other team you will play all year. The fact that Brock Purdy can get and, – and you watch him, and you watch his ability to process, and it really reminds me of a Kurt Warner. He has far from the strongest arm. He's not the biggest guy. He's certainly not that athletic. He has enough mobility to be – you know, to have escape ability. But you watch him. One, two, three, fourth option. Boom, right on the money, right in stride, in rhythm. He knows what he's seeing. He 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 starts processing pre-snap just by looking at your coverages. So I, I can see why out of nowhere they got rid of everyone in that quarterback room. Jimmy G, Trey Lance, and Brock Purdy is their guy. So as I texted all my hater buddies who were letting me have it after the game, all the NorCal guys, I said, you're welcome for your quarterback coming from Gilbert, Arizona. You guys are all welcome. You know, you can send us a a thank you gift at the end of the year because, yeah, Brock Purdy, um, he's legit. And obviously, you know, that scheme suits him so well. And then the whole Christian McCaffrey effect. I mean, you're going to play the Niners again. Here's a question I put to you. It's a genuinely legit question. What do you do differently against Christian McCaffrey? What do you do? I love that, um, that sort of half motion they use, the cheat motion, whatever they call it, and they get him into a full sprint. That's really effective. You, you need to have an answer for that. And I'm really going to date myself right now. My, one of my first gigs as a, as a young 20-something was covering the Lions for two years at the height of Barry Sanders' dominance. And teams would come in, and they, what do we do? What do you do to stop Barry Sanders? There really was no answer. And it's the one and only time where I've watched a running back, even Derrick Henry. Because Derrick Henry, you can load at least the box up enough. But the combination of Christian McCaffrey in that scheme and with the other weapons around him, what do you do to stop the Niners running back? Because you know what they want to do. You know what they're going to do. But can you stop it? Because McCaffrey, excuse me, in the open field is a difficult tackle. I mean, he is very elusive yep. out there. So, yeah, yep. you could have one guy a spy or whatever. But is that enough when you have yep. just someone that talented with the football in their hands? Okay, you used the word spy. That was my question to Rob Fredrickson during the halftime from the sideline. I said, if you had Buda Baker, Rob Fredrickson, former NFL linebacker, could you use Buda Baker as a spy on Christian McCaffrey? Well, you don't really use a spy necessarily on running backs. It's almost exclusively for quarterbacks, running quarterbacks. But that sort of weapon, I'd love to know, could you have him as sort of what Wolf calls a robber, you know, a free guy in the box who just sort of follows and has his eyes and goes to the side of the formation where Christian McCaffrey is. So when they play again in December and knock on wood, Buda Baker's fully healthy. I'm really curious to see the before and after with Buddha out on that field because, look, from my vantage point, Kayvon Wallace, nice pickup off waivers. He's come in. He's been he's contributed. But there were a number of missed tackles out there for the second straight game, and that is a position the Cardinals are sorely missing. You do not replace a Buddha Baker, and too often they paid for it. A healthy Buddha Baker would help. What about a healthy Garrett Williams? at that cornerback position as we speak here on this Monday, October 2nd. Yes, he is eligible to come off the NFI list. 
He is eligible just like Kyler Murray is, just like Dennis Daly is, just like MyJ Sanders is. When does that happen? I know everyone is pointing to Kyler, and what we've heard from head coach Jonathan Gannon is that Kyler will be activated or be that window will open once he's able to practice. Well, Bird Gang, the Cardinals aren't practicing on Monday. They're not practicing on Tuesday. The first day of the week to practice is on Wednesday. Do we get word Wednesday morning that that window has been opened? Or mm. is it more to what ESPN's Adam Schefter reported over the weekend that Kyler is still weeks away, so he's not quite ready to practice yet. Forget about playing. He's going to need at least, I think, two weeks of oh, yeah. practice before you see him in a game. Yeah. Look, I'm sticking with my Kyler projection that I've used since April. Halloween. Give or take a week. That's what I've gone with since April. I have no sources. I have no inside knowledge. This is just a guess, just a forecast. Halloween, give or take a week. We'll see. Odds are I'll be dead wrong, but that's what uh, that's sort of what I'm expecting. Now, the Garrett Williams is interesting. All right. I, I don't know what you and Pash are doing, but where <laughs> where's the Syracuse Mafia on this? All of your Syracuse insiders, we need some intel on this. Where exactly is Garrett Williams? I mean, has there been a report of any sort? Nothing. As to how he may or may not be tracking, we have no idea. None. It was after his name was drafted. Well, the question was asked, and I, if I remember correctly, he thought he was going to be cleared from his ACL injury in June or July. And here he is. We're Paul, we're in October, and I mean, we yeah. see him out there working with Buddy Morris on the side with the training staff. But but if he is, that window does open for him. I mean, he hasn't played football in darn near a year. So, I mean, yeah. you talk about Russ for him and Kyle Murray. I mean, my Jay and Dennis Daly, they at least were – doing some work this offseason but yeah we haven't I haven't heard anything about Garrett Williams I mean to go to go from zero to regular season zero to a hundred is tough he hasn't even been out there for any full well obviously he can't come off but I mean how close is he to being able to even practice and then to go from practice to be able to tackle in a regular season game we all saw how physical that game was against the Niners guess what after the Bengals you got slugfest against the Rams and Seahawks on the road so I don't know I, I guess I should probably use Halloween or, or later with Garrett Williams as well honestly it's been so long I forgot what his injury was exactly so it was an ACL repair and if he walked through here right now I'm not sure I'd even recognize him <laughs> that's how quiet I mean Garrett yeah. Williams has been yet at the same time cornerback is as vital as any position in terms of a need right now as anything we'd all love to see what the rookie has because he was considered a, a he's still considered a supreme talent and you figure if healthy he's someone who could contribute right away so you look at what the 49ers did offensively and what the Cardinals defense did not do season highs in first downs and yards per play allowed Season lows in tackles for loss, passes, defense, no takeaways for the first time this season, mm. allowing five of five in the red zone. Those are not good numbers, yet at the same time, okay, how much was that a defense that was lacking in bodies, let alone talent, and then a 49ers offense that right now is, forget midseason form, they're in postseason form through four games. So that's going to be something that I know Nick Rollis is going to try to figure out. Where are we as a defense? Because I don't know if that game on Sunday, Paul, was indicative of where this Cardinals defense is based off what we've seen through weeks one, two, and three. 
you know, we talked about it in the pregame. Would have been really nice to see a Cardinals defense with LJ Collier, Carlos Watkins, Jonathan Ledbetter. Now, Ledbetter is more of a short term thing, whereas Watkins and LJ Collier are long term. We don't expect to see them anytime soon. On the other hand, Kyle Vandenbosch made a pretty good point. It's not like the guys you had playing, you know, were replacing Pro Bowlers. It's not like you had backups and guys off the street replacing a Chris Jones, a Jeffrey Simmons, an Aaron Donald, right? I mean, those are fine players that I just named, but they're not franchise tag type guys. So how much of a drop-off really was there from the three guys who were out to the guys who were playing? Now you had a Roy Lopez. He's off the street. He's been with the team for a week. On the other hand, he started 29 games the last two years for the Houston Texans. So it's not like he pulled him off his couch and he was totally unequipped, far from that and you know Lecky Foto I know got a lot of snaps but um yeah that's uh there's no question right now that um the Niners had the Cardinals defense on its heels enough uh at the same time it was a five-point game midway through the third quarter so there were opportunities and that again goes back to how I began as far as being encouraged despite a one and three record because as we look ahead now to the Cincinnati Bengals all right Cardinals are one and three. I'm feeling pretty good about a one and three record based off the expectation that I had going into this season. You got a Bengals team coming in to State Farm Stadium on Sunday, Paul. That is also one and three. But my guess is Bengals fans are not too pleased with a one and three record and a Joe Burrow who might be limping because of a calf issue that continues to bother him. And that team had major expectations coming into this season. Yes, they did. Now, look, they have a track record of rebounding. A year ago, they started 0-2, and then they won 12-14, of 14, won the division, went to the AFC Championship game. Remember, they went 12-4 and 4 last year because they were involved in the DeMar Hamlin game that was declared a no contest. So they only played 16 games. But Tennessee, the Titans, Jack Stomp, the Bengals, really? I mean, they sacked Joe Burrow three times. They forced a fumble. Burrow looked like a journeyman, not the highest paid player in the game. He didn't complete a pass longer than 17 yards. Cincinnati's offense has not scored a first-half touchdown in any game this year. The Cincinnati defense looked like they were playing with the belief that we don't have a quarterback who can win the game. And the Cardinals have been there in between Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer, Carson Palmer and Kyler Murray. It's a bad feeling. When your defense goes in, it feels like if we get down 10 points, we're cooked because we don't have a quarterback who's capable of leading the offense back to get that many points. In them. And then you see guys checking out on defense. That's what Cincinnati looked like when they gave up 173 yards rushing in that game. So Zach Taylor after the game, the Bengals head coach, saying this was unacceptable. Joe Burrow saying we've got a lot to get fixed. Okay, what's feasible, what's doable in one week's time, and is Joe Burrow really going to be the guy? Because everybody who covers the the Bengals says he looks like a shred of his former self. Derrick Henry had more passing touchdowns on Sunday than Joe Burrow. (laughs) That was a great jump pass from the big man. uh, That's a good stat. You're you're absolutely right. So, And Tennessee was nothing to write home about. So to come full circle on your point, there's one in three. And then there's one and three, and the Bengals are a sobering one and three right now. And you know how it works every year. The playoff field changes out. There's always four new playoff teams at least every single season in the NFL, and that means there's four playoff teams from the year before that are on the outside looking in. Right now, that definitely appears to be the Bengals.
Vikings are one and three. They had huge expectations coming into this season. The Bears, 0 and 4. They had major expectations. This was going to be the year for Justin Fields. So, again, how you feel about your team based off the expectations you had, the anticipation coming into this season. I do think Cardinal fans, your own expectations for this year have changed based off what you've seen through the first four games. And again, that 49ers team, I'll say it again, Paul, that is the best team in the National Football League that I've seen. And I don't know if you can make an argument because, as we've seen, the Dolphins score 70 a week later. They almost allowed 50 yeah. to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. So it, this this league, trying to figure out who's hot, who's not, who are the contenders, who are the pretenders, it changes weekly. It was interesting. I saw a 49ers TV show in the hotel room Saturday night. Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch got contract extensions. And Kyle Shanahan told a story when they were interviewing because they hired both of them at the same time. And Lynch came out of the TV booth. And ownership gave them a survey. And they said, all right, here's a whole bunch of questions. One of the one of the tests or one of the survey questions was, here's 100 points. How would you allocate it to position groups on the team? And John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were exact in the percentages they put. Quarterback, D-line, left tackle, in that order. So if you look at how they've invested their resources – they have arguably the best left tackle in the game in Trent Williams. They are absolutely stacked and loaded at defensive line. That is their philosophy, and now they have the quarterback, and that's what makes them lethal. They do have that quarterback that they believe in, and so they are the bully on the block. They have won nine straight division games, and they've won 14 straight regular season games. The Niners are it right now. They're that team. Cardinals will face the 49ers a second time December 17th, coming off a bye, so something to pay attention to, and who knows what the Cardinals will look like at that point in the season. But again, yeah, it was the final score was ugly on Sunday, but I'm still encouraged based off how that team fought back and made it a one-score game late in the third quarter. Talent just won out on Sunday, and We'll see what kind of talent the Cardinals have left based off the injuries and who might be coming available this week for the Cardinals as far as some of that talent. That game, as we mentioned, I'm not predicting a win. I am predicting a bloodbath. You might want to put an octagon around the whole football <laughs> field. That that's that that those guys are going to come out swinging on both teams. The blood is bad already between this new iteration of the Cardinals and that 49ers team. We saw it throughout that game. And I asked a number of guys in the locker room afterwards, how much are you looking forward to the rematch? And they instantly, head popped up, eyes got wide. They said, oh yeah, I want to play these guys again. December 17th is the rematch. First things first, though, this week, the Cincinnati Bengals in town. Much more on that matchup as we continue throughout the week. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.